morning. I want to take a minute and uh, honor Pastor Felix. <laughs> Not too many years ago, he was my teacher, and I was his student. And so, as a student standing for the teacher, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> Pastor Felix was instrumental in our lives at uh, Faith Center, and uh, we honor who he is in the Lord Jesus Christ and all that the Lord has done and is going to do through you. Thank you for coming. The title of this morning's message is Completely Reconciled. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word, that it is true, that it is rock solid, that it is unchangeable. And Father God, I thank you that you open our eyes to see and understand your word. And when we see the truth of who you are and what you've done, it changes us. And it increases our faith. It increases our capacity to believe in the goodness of a good, good Father. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we're going to look at reconciliation. What it is, why do we need it, how does understanding it affect how we see Jesus, ourselves, and others? My hope is that in answering these questions, we will receive, celebrate, and live in the peace that comes from knowing we have been reconciled to God. So, what is reconciliation? Well, if you look at Webster's Dictionary, it says this, reconciliation is the act of causing two people or groups to become friendly again after an argument or disagreement. It is also the action of making financial accounts consistent, causing them to harmonize we reconcile our checkbooks so that the bank and our checkbook says the same thing. That's reconciliation. These definitions carry the idea of harmony, finding a place of agreement with someone or something. When it comes to reconciliation between two parties, either one or both of the parties have to change their mind, their position, or their opinion in order to affect reconciliation. In other words, somebody's got to move. <laughs> somebody's got to give, okay, if you're going to have reconciliation. We see this truth in Matthew chapter 5. This passage of scripture is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And in that sermon, Jesus exposes the truth that sin is a matter of the heart, not just a matter of breaking a particular law or participating in a wrong behavior. So throughout his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls his disciples to the spirit of the law, which is designed to cause them to look at their heart, which should also lead them to the conclusion they need a savior. <laughs> because keeping the law the way Jesus explains it would actually require a new heart. So in Matthew chapter 5, I'm reading from the International Standard Version, beginning in verse 21. It says this. This is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was told those who lived long ago, you must not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to punishment. That was the sixth commandment. And the punishment was death. They threw rocks at your head until you were dead. <laughs> That's their understanding of murder. That's the punishment. But they didn't understand the heart of murder. Verse 22 goes on, and Jesus says, But I say to you, Anyone who is angry with his brother without a cause will be subject to punishment. 
and whoever says to his brother, Raka, which means empty-headed or worthless, will be subject to the council, their ruling councils there. And whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. First of all, you always gotta remember, this is not our covenant. We are not under old covenant, okay? But what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to show them the heart of what God meant when he said, thou shalt not murder. This verse shows us the escalating nature of anger and hatred. Anger and hatred will not go away by ignoring their existence. In fact, it usually gets worse. And Jesus' point is that all of these different degrees of wrong actions make them just as guilty of breaking the law as if they had committed murder. Both of them are breaking the law. Now, we say murder is way worse than calling somebody a bad name. <laughs> but God says, no, no, the heart of murder starts with a bad name. The heart of murder is that anger and that hatred. And he says that is the seed, if you will, that will lead to actual murder. So his point was that if you're going to be perfect by the law, God's standards were actually a lot higher than theirs were. The Pharisees at that time, if they got angry with somebody or mad at somebody, they would go to great lengths to bring harm and hurt to that person, just short of murder, so that they could say, I'm a law keeper. But were they really a law keeper? No, because they had murder in their heart. And God's standards always involve people's hearts and other people's hearts. Jesus continues in verse 23. So if you are presenting your gift at the altar, in other words, if you've come to worship, and remember there that your brother has something against you. Now this is odd, isn't it? <laughs> Normally we think, well, if I have something against somebody else, I need to go make it right. And that's true. But Jesus says, no, 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 higher standard. <laughs> if somebody's mad at you and you know it, you go and be reconciled. God loves reconciliation. God loves restoring what has been broken. He wants all men to live at peace as well. In Romans 12, 18, it says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now this he's talking about true peace. He's not talking about fake peace. You know what fake peace is? Ignoring people. <laughs> not talking to people. Avoiding people. That's not peace. <laughs> So Jesus says, if we know somebody has a problem, as much as it depends on us, now there are some people who will not be reconciled. They don't want to be your friend anymore. He says, you're off the hook in that case. But he says, if you can make it right, then you should make it right. He goes on in verse 24. Leave your gift there before the altar and first go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. I like that he said first, because see, this is Jesus's heart. He would rather see you minister to another person's need than to do something religious because you think you're supposed to. Whatever we do unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. So that's the concept here, is that God puts relationships with each other above religious obligations. Again, God loves reconciliation. He loves making peace. He loves restoring relationships because that's his heart and that's his nature to restore what has been broken and to reverse hatred and anger. And as New Covenant believers, we already have his heart and his nature. And through Christ, we already have the ability to make reconciliation with those with whom we have disagreements. 
In this particular word for reconcile, this is one of three related Greek words that are translated in English as reconcile. And each word carries a little bit different meaning. This one here is called dia alasso. It means to reconcile. Dia is through, and alasso means to change thoroughly. So it means to mentally conciliate, or call back into union, to reconcile, to make friendly again, to restore friendship, to make peace, it includes all of that. But this word also includes the idea of mutual compromise. It includes the idea of both people giving a little <laughs> in order to find a place of agreement. So this particular word for reconcile always involves more than one person doing the changing. And in most disputes, in most disagreements, that is the case. Both people got to give. <laughs> in Matthew 5:25, he continues, he says, come to terms quickly with your opponent while you were on the way to court. Or your opponent may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. I tell you with certainty, you will not get out of there until you pay back the last dollar. He says, come to terms quickly. It is important that when we have disagreements with people, that we don't practice fake peace. <laughs> we get together and we find a place of agreement. We want our faith to work and we've got to walk in agreement with others for our faith to have its full effect. Now, obviously, in this story, this particular offense had to do with money. You're not going to get out until you pay every last penny. One person owed the other person and either they couldn't pay or they wouldn't pay. And so Jesus is saying, don't let this dispute get worse and worse. In other words, don't let this get to the point where you're going to court. <laughs> Come to your senses. Find a place of agreement quickly. Work it out with forgiveness and flexibility. And really, the only way we know that is because of the particular word that Jesus used. This word says, both of you have got to give a little. Sometimes the giving a little is forgiving. Because let's face it, nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody misunderstands. And so sometimes the only thing you can do is forgive. And that's the point. Somebody's got to move. <laughs> so he uses the word that indicates that both people need to change in order to make reconciliation. The one who's offended and also the one who's doing the offending. So in this particular story, the creditor could allow the debtor to make payments or the debtor could offer to pay interest. The point is, in order to find a place of agreement, they both had to give. Now, not all offenses have to do with a money debt, but all offenses do leave someone feeling like the other person owes them something. Jesus understands that a sin debt is like a money debt, and it will cause anger and even hatred and will only continue to get worse the longer it remains unresolved. It just grows and gets uglier. <laughs> Anger and hatred are a prison of our own making. And the only way out is to make reconciliation by being willing to change our minds, our opinions, including willing to offer forgiveness for the offense, and then finding a place of agreement. This kind of reconciliation takes real effort. And it's usually only done under the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we need the power of God. Because you know what? Sometimes forgiveness isn't easy because of our pain and our discomfort. Sometimes forgiveness isn't easy, but it's not an option either. Reconciliation isn't always easy, but it's always worth it. The second Greek word used for the word reconcile is the word katalasso. 
This word comes from kata, which means down, and alasso, which means to change or exchange. Thus, katalasso means to change from enmity, hatred, or disharmony, to friendship and harmony. In other words, translated reconcile. Now, what's different about this word for reconcile is that it does not carry the idea of mutual change. So it is used specifically when indicating that only one person needs to change. So it's used exclusively when referring to mankind being reconciled to God. God doesn't need to change. <laughs> God's not sorry for anything. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's perfect. <laughs> but if God and mankind are to have peace, to go from hatred to friendship, then the man is the one who needs to change. Mankind is the one with the hatred and the anger problem, not God. Mankind is the one who has enmity and hatred against God, not the other way around. God is not angry with us. Now, the word reconciliation in general involves the idea of friends who have had a break in their friendship and then restoring that relationship to its previous condition. That's the basic idea of biblical reconciliation as well. God and mankind were at perfect peace with each other in the Garden of Eden until Adam and Eve chose to break their friendship with God through sin. Now really, they actually purposely, knowingly, willingly broke their relationship with God. It's called sin. They separated themselves from him and his life. And then they had no way to mend or fix what they had done. They didn't even apologize. <laughs> they couldn't change themselves back into what they were before they sinned, which was a state of sinlessness. That sounds funny to us, doesn't it? That Adam and Eve were actually sinless because we're so used to thinking of them as sinners. But prior to the fall, they were without sin. So in order to restore the relationship to what it was before it was broken, they would have to go back to a state of sinlessness. If there was some way that they could have gotten rid of their sin right there and right then, then their relationship with God would have been restored to the same condition it was before. But it just so happens it's impossible for man to remove his own sin. So Adam and Eve had no idea of the magnitude of what they had done or the evil that would follow what they had done. And neither did they know the magnitude of what it would take to deal with the sin and make reconciliation. They had no idea the cost that it would take to restore peace between them and God. The penalty for sin, of course, is death. And man's death is simply justice. But in that justice, there isn't any kind of reconciliation. It's just making it permanently separated. There isn't any restoration or coming back in union as friends, and that's not what God wanted. So what mankind needed was not God's justice, but God's mercy and God's love to intervene on behalf of them and to rescue them from what they had done to themselves. <laughs> so God, because of his great love, I love that. God, because of his great love, he has loved us with a great love. We don't know the magnitude of this love until you can see and understand the cross. Because of his great love, wherein he has loved us, was rich in mercy, tender compassions, and he sent his only begotten son to be the propitiation, I love propitiation, the satisfaction for all our sin. In Romans chapter 3, 23 to 26, it says this, 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But because of Jesus, <laughs> and are justified, declared righteous, declared innocent, there's a legal document in heaven that says not guilty. Next to my name, it says not guilty, innocent. I've been declared righteous. I've been justified by his grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption, the price paid to buy me back out of my sin debt. That's redemption, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a satisfaction, a way to fix my debt, to pay my debt. Satisfaction by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just in punishing sin. And the justifier, the one who gets to declare us innocent, the one that gets to declare us free, he gets to be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is righteous and holy, and he only does that which is righteous and holy. <laughs> so in his justice, he had to deal with sin. But he didn't want to deal with sin in the body of sinners. Instead, he wanted to deal with sin in the body of his son. Jesus was without sin. And so Jesus was the only human being who could pay the sin debt on behalf of other human beings. He was the only one qualified to take our sin into his body and then carry it into the grave where sin received its just penalty, death. And then because Jesus was still sinless, death could not hold him. So God, the Father, legally and justly raised him from the dead, thereby legally and justly removing what originally brought separation, sin. Jesus really is the lamb that took away that took away all the sin of the world. The sin caused the separation. And so if there's no sin, then there's no separation. And if there's no separation, if there's no more wall between me and God, that means we can be reconciled. No separation leads to reconciliation. We were brought back into right relationship with God as far as God was concerned. So through Jesus, we have peace with God. The good news is God is not mad. God is not mad anymore. He's glad. <laughs> he has reconciled us back to him. You see, he didn't need to change. We tend to mix those up. God's reconciled back to me. No, God didn't do any changing. We're the ones that needed to move. We're the ones that needed to change. We're the ones that needed to give a little. <laughs> but nothing we could give was good enough. So God became one of us to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He took down that barrier that was between us, and he restored us back to himself because of his great love for us. Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we know if you don't love me at my worst, you don't love me. When we were first married, my husband had never seen me get angry. And one day he saw me, he saw me angry. <laughs> it wasn't at him, but he saw me angry and he was appalled. <laughs> and I was instantly afraid. Will you reject me because you don't approve of my anger? You see, we know as human beings, if you don't love me at my worst, you don't really love me. This is the love. 
This is the great love. That even in our worst moment, even in our worst day, he has a great love for me. He has a great love for you. Our bad behavior does not change his love. Ever. So, so that we would know, so that we would understand, no matter how far we think we have fallen, no matter how bad we think we've messed things up, my God, my Father loves me. He loves me. He's fond of me. He even likes me. <laughs> it's that great love. And he demonstrated that great love because he did what he did when we were sinners. He didn't ask us to change first in order to be reconciled. He knew there's no change that we could make that would make him be able to be reconciled with us. He had to do the work for us. Verse nine, since therefore we have now been justified, declared innocent, declared not guilty by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. No more wrath for the believer. We have been saved by him from the wrath that belongs to sin. Verse 10. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. You see, he's saying, I want you to get this. This has nothing to do with how good you are. If, while you were his enemy, if, while you thought he was mad at you, he reconciled you to God by the death of his son. In other words, while we were still a mess, he took our sin account in heaven, which was at like a bazillion dollars, and he made it zero. That's reconciliation. He says, I have paid your sin debt. It doesn't matter how big it is, because he has overpaid the sin debt, in case you ever sin again. It's paid. It's all paid. It went to zero. That's God's idea of reconciliation. Much more than, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We were not reconciled when we received Jesus. We were reconciled at the cross. Salvation is us receiving what Jesus did on the cross. Salvation is Jesus Christ in us. They're two different things. Our Father has restored us through Christ to the same status Adam had before the fall, before we ever received Jesus. In our Father's eyes, he said, I've taken on the cross. Once the cross happened, sin debt for the entire world is zero. You can't pay anything on it. It's already been completely paid. Your good works won't do it. Your being really sorry won't do it. Your trying really hard won't do it. It's Jesus' blood and Jesus' blood alone. That's what brought the reconciliation from God's point of view. He can now look at you and say, not guilty. I've removed the sin problem. I've taken sin and moved it out of your account. You are now righteous in my sight. There's now no sin debt of any kind. And God isn't secretly thinking that we owe him something. God isn't expecting us to be a debtor to him. Gifts don't make you debtors. They make you thankful. <laughs> if you think you owe God everything, then we don't understand. He doesn't want us to have that sense of obligation. Oh, I've got to pay God back. 
No, he wants us to understand what this great love is, what he's done for us. He doesn't want us to do good works out of obligation. He wants us to do his works through his great love. It's a whole different heart issue. It's not doing to become or doing to receive. It's receiving so you can do. It's receiving so you can be Jesus Christ to somebody else. Our entire sin debt has been paid in full by the blood of Jesus. So God is not holding our sins against us anymore. This is really hard for people to understand because we are so sin conscious. And if you love Jesus, you don't like to sin. That's the bottom line. If you love Jesus, you are not interested in sinning. If you are interested in sinning, we've got to have a conversation because something's wrong. Now, temptation comes. But when you received Jesus, you got his nature. You got his heart. So if sin is still your great desire, something's wrong. Years ago, I was, was working with a young man who was telling me that he was a Christian. And I said, well, when did you receive Christ? He goes, well, when I was baptized. Red flag. <laughs> well, tell me about that. Well, I went to this church and they told me, you know, that God loves me and if, if I got baptized, then I would go to heaven someday. But when did you receive Jesus? <laughs> he says, well, when I got baptized. I said, so do you know his voice? He goes, what do you mean? God talks. <laughs> you should know his voice if you were one of his sheep. He goes, no, 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 no. I got baptized. And I said, then you are not saved. If you are trusting in some water to wash away your sins, you are not saved. It is the blood of Jesus that saves. It is the blood of Jesus that has reconciled us. And it is the life of Christ in us that saves us. You can't just get wet and call yourself saved. You're just a wet sinner. Second <laughs> Corinthians 5 verses 17 through 19 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We're supposed to go and tell people, God is not mad. He's paid your sin debt. All you got to do is believe and receive. Accept God's friend request. You want to do Facebook? You get those little friend requests? Okay, this is what the cross did. The cross enabled God to say, let me be your friend. <laughs> There's nothing between us anymore. Be my friend. Let me love you. 19, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world back to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Not counting their trespasses against who? Them. Who's them? Everybody. Christian and non-Christian. God is not counting their sins against them. And he wants us to tell them that <laughs> because nobody believes it. So we were all reconciled back to God at the cross, which means since the cross, God hasn't been counting our sins against us because he's already counted them against Jesus. So there's no separation or anger or hatred on God's part of the equation since the cross. Now, does that mean the whole world is saved? No. And this is where universalists and inclusionists get the wrong idea. 
because Jesus has paid the price for the whole world does not mean the whole world is saved. The whole world has been reconciled. In other words, there's no barrier between God and man anymore. The barrier has been removed. God has reconciled us to him, but now we need to be reconciled to him on our part. We need to accept the friend request. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your friend, <laughs> you're not saved, even though the whole world's sin have been paid for. That's what reconciliation is. God making the books zero dollars. Reconciliation is the finished work of the cross. Salvation is the resurrected Christ coming to live inside of us and changing us into a whole new creation. Because of reconciliation, everyone can have salvation. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Accept God's finished work. Accept his peace and love. Let him restore you to a life-giving relationship with himself. Accept his friend request. 21. For our sake, he, the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. God reconciled us back to himself long before we ever received him as Savior. He hasn't been counting our sins against us since the cross. So why do we think he's counting our sins against us now? Why do believers tend to think that when bad things happen, that it's God punishing them for their sins? Why do believers tend to think that our sins will cause us to forfeit our salvation? It's because we don't understand that God the Father has already reconciled all of humanity back to himself through the blood of Christ. He's not counting our sins against us. He's made himself our friend. He's returned us to his favor, and now he asks us to be his friend in return by receiving the reconciliation through the gift of salvation through Christ. Reconciliation took away the sin barrier between God and man. That's the cross, the death of Christ. But the death of Christ does not automatically reunite us with God. It just made it possible for us to be reunited. In order for us to be reunited to the life of God, we need to receive the resurrection life of Jesus. Jesus is one with the Father, then we are one with the Father too. And all of this oneness was what God wanted from the beginning. In the garden, he wanted complete fellowship with nothing separating them. And that's what he bought. That's what he made possible through the cross of Jesus Christ. Just because God has reconciled the world to himself doesn't mean the world agrees to be reconciled in return. Believe it or not, not everybody wants to be friends with God. And for those who don't want to be God's friend, they don't have to. They can still reject what's been done for them by rejecting Jesus, and they will go to hell. But not because of their many sins. They've already been reconciled. But because they reject the gift of eternal life through Christ, they close the door of salvation, who is Jesus. Reconciliation is not equal to salvation. It just makes salvation possible. So if you hear people say, everybody's going to heaven, everybody is right with God, no. God's part of the equation has been taken care of. The barrier of sin has been removed. But the fact is, if you do not have Christ, you're still a sinner. You're still in a condition of sin, and you haven't been restored to the sinless condition that you need to have to have fellowship and relationship with God. So there's one more Greek word 
for reconciled that I want you to see is the word apokatalasso. It's the katalasso, just like the last word, with APO in front of it. And APO means fully. So it means fully reconciled. If you look in Webster's for the word fully, it means completely, perfectly, and entirely. And this word, the Apostle Paul, he loves to make up words. Because <laughs> he wants to express this great love. He says some normal words just aren't big enough. They don't paint a big enough picture. He says, you're not just reconciled. You are completely reconciled. You are perfectly reconciled, and you're entirely reconciled. The sin issue is no longer an issue. Receive my friend request. <laughs> this word fully reconciled, it only appears three times, twice in the book of Colossians in chapter 1. I'm going to read that for you. I'm going to add the word fully since that's what it actually says in the Greek even though translators don't put it there. Beginning in verse 19. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to fully reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now fully, completely, perfectly and entirely reconciled in the body of the flesh of his death in order to present you what? Holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. We are not going to stand before a holy God and say, look how good I was. Look how good I did it. No, we're going to say, look, I'm wearing Jesus. <laughs> I'm wearing the blood. This is why I can come. This is why I'm not guilty. This is why I'm innocent. Because Jesus lives in me. And it's his blood has paid for all of my sin. Verse 23. And if indeed, and if you look that up in the Greek, it means seeing that. <laughs> seeing that you continue in the faith. Here it doesn't say continue in your faith. It's because continue in the faith. And there's a reason for that. Be, continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now the reason the Apostle Paul thought it was necessary to add this word fully <laughs> to the word reconcile was because they were false teachers trying to persuade the Colossians that they needed something other than just Jesus. There were the Judaizers that said, no, no, you, you need to keep the Sabbath. You're not acceptable to God unless you keep the Sabbath. And then there were the ascetics, those who were so strict with their bodies that they would cover their faces so they wouldn't be lust after women. No, no, you've got to be strict with your flesh. You're not acceptable to God unless you are strict with your flesh. And then there's those angel worshipers. Oh, no, no, no. Jesus is not a true mediator. Jesus is not the one and the only way of salvation. No, no, you need angels to help you. So you've got to worship angels too. This was the kind of stuff that was coming into the church. So this is why the apostle goes, no! Jesus didn't give you a partial reconciliation. He didn't pay for half of your sin debt. He's not asking for payments. He says you are perfectly, completely, and entirely reconciled. Every sin you will ever commit has already been paid for. Don't you dare insult him by offering to pay for your sins. So, the Apostle Paul, he gets really spunky. <laughs> he gets excited about Jesus and about anybody trying to, to add anything to Jesus. 
We stand before a holy God and righteous because of Jesus and because of Jesus alone, not because of our good works. Whatever good works come out of our life, they are all to the glory of Jesus. They are never to the glory of ourselves. Anything good I do comes from Jesus. Anything that's good before the Father is from Jesus. It is all about Jesus. And the book of Colossians, he says, don't let anybody talk you into adding anything to Jesus. We can't pay or atone for any of our sins. Jesus alone was qualified to redeem and reconcile us back to God. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Jesus created all things. In Jesus is all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Jesus, we have been made complete. We never have to fear that our sins, our failures, or our mistakes will separate us from our Father or from our Jesus. Jesus provided a full, complete, and entire perfect reconciliation and salvation. Unfortunately, the church isn't very good in general (laughs) at telling believers about their full and complete reconciliation. So people come to God and they ask him to forgive them of their sins and they invite Jesus into their heart. They're so happy they receive the gift of salvation and they're born again, but they don't understand that they've already been reconciled. That their sin debt, even when they fall, still remains at zero. For years, I was always trying to pay for my sin. I will be really sorry for days. I will be really strict with myself. I did all of the things the Apostle Paul says are useless. When I should have been going, thank you, Lord, for the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that my sins are not counted against me. Thank you, Lord, that my mistakes don't change who I am to you. Thank you, Lord, that when I sin, the barrier doesn't come back. The barrier doesn't come back, but you know what does come? Condemnation. Because our own hearts will condemn us. If you love Jesus, you don't like sin. (laughs) So your own heart condemns you. It's not God condemning you. Condemnation sends us running from God. Reconciliation sends us running to God. Thank you. My sin debt is still zero. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Nothing will ever separate me from you again. I am one in spirit with the living God. I am one with Christ now and forever. So when these new believers, they fail, and it happens, they're afraid. And when they struggle, Oh, heaven forbid they have something that they're struggling with. Because <laughs> then the, the struggle comes to think, oh no, the sin barrier is back and God's mad again. And how many times will he forgive me for doing the same stupid stuff? Sin debt is still zero. We are constantly cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our sin debt never comes back. In fact, the account has been closed. No sins are counted against us. Now, does that mean I should go out and sin like a crazy man? No, because we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and our works will be judged, and we will have to give an account. Yes, there is a judgment for Christians, but it's not about our destination. (laughs) It's about what did we do with the Jesus that lives within us? Did we let him live? Did we let him shine? Did we let him forgive others through us? Did we let him love the unlovely through us? God is not mad. When we accepted Jesus, we accepted God's friend request. 
and reconciliation became a reality in us. Now we have the ability to do for others what God has done for us, to love and forgive those who are mad at us, those who are angry with us, and to love and forgive those with whom we may be angry or mad. God loves reconciliation, the restoring of relationships that were once were broken. God doesn't want to leave anything broken in our lives. He wants to bring wholeness. He wants to bring completeness. He wants to restore us to our original condition in the garden, in every area of our life. There's no more separation. Amen? I thank you, Father God, for your word and for your truth. I thank you, Father God, for reconciliation. I thank you, Father God, that you don't let anything steal me away from you ever again. I thank you, Father God, that you love me with a great, great love. Father God, I ask that you would open our eyes to the truth of this reconciliation and the reality that we find in salvation, in Christ Jesus, in being made whole, in being declared righteous. Father God, I thank you. Help us to walk out our true identity, who we really are in you. Help us to love the unlovely. Help us to minister to those who are angry with us. Help us to make amends where we can make amends. Father, help us to reflect the goodness of a God who loves even his enemy. Father God, I thank you that no longer, no longer are we enemies, except maybe in our own minds. Father God, I ask you change our minds so that we will remember you have accepted us and we have accepted you and we are friends forever. In Jesus' name. Amen.